So glad that you could be here in person Sunday morning and also to our uh, beloved church family online. So great to get together. I just wanted to um, thank our church family. Thank you here this morning and those that are online uh, so much for just one aspect of your faithful heart for the Lord, and that's your continual giving to the Lord. Through this pandemic, with all the stuff we've been through, and I know many of families affected financially, yet our church continues in our community. And because of your faithful giving, uh, we're able to continue our ministry both in our community, uh, around the world, uh, with the missionaries we support. So thank you so much uh, for giving. Some of folks have learned to give online. Others are um, mailing in gifts to the office. You can do that. But I just wanted to say thank you. You know, we don't take that for granted because this is a, a time where um, we are all being tested in various ways. But thank you for your faithful giving to the Lord that continues to allow to, us to serve Him as a church family here in Kailua, around the world. Well, something really amazing happened to me a few weeks ago. You'll never believe this <laughs> if it didn't actually happen. I got a text from Jesus. I actually got a text from Jesus. Now, you're probably, I kid you not, I, I got a text from Jesus. I have the evidence on my phone. If you're uh, interested, I can show you after the phone. You, you, you want to know what he said to me? Here's what he said. Jesus is approaching with your, with your order uh, from California Pizza Kitchen. Enjoy your meal. <laughs> I actually got a text from Jesus. For, here's what happened. Uh, it was Martha's birthday, and Steve and Julin on the mainland wanted to surprise her with a birthday meal. Uh, actually, it was the day before her birthday. And so Steve gave uh, CPK my number, and I got this text out of the blue, a text I didn't know, and it said Jesus was coming with dinner. And um, sure enough, a couple minutes later, a guy knocked on the door and I said, are you Jesus? And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm here from CPK. I've got your meal. So it was Jesus. I got a text from him. It just wasn't the Jesus you were thinking about. It wasn't the Lord Jesus, but it was a fellow named Jesus. And uh, you can imagine, I was a little bit amazed when I saw that Jesus was on his way to my house with dinner. Well, it's just kind of a reminder. And by the way, I, uh, I texted Steve and I said, thank you so much. You'll never believe who, who brought the dinner. Uh, Jesus brought the dinner to us. And he texted back and he said, yep, Jesus delivers. <laughs> and he does. He delivers a lot more than a nice birthday meal. But in any case, it was a reminder to me of this great truth of our faith that I want to lift our spirits with this morning, that Jesus, the one who loves us, is on his way. We don't know when he's coming, but we do know he is coming. And that's the question, and I, I want to just kind of challenge your hearts. Are you really sure? It's been hundreds, 2,000 years since Jesus came first coming, but do you hold on to the fact, is it dear to your heart, that Jesus, the King, is coming again? How do you know? How do we know that Jesus is coming? Now, I know with the pandemic, uh, the pandemic is not the sign of Jesus coming. It is a sign. Jesus talks about various signs that are birth pangs. Birth pangs, it's a birth pang that, that he is coming. But it is not the sign as a pestilence. But the question I want to look at this morning is, how can you be sure? How can I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is coming? Because I believe that when we lay hold on that truth and we're so assured of that truth, it will lift our spirits. And it will certainly lift our spirits with 
all of the, the frustrations and the restrictions and the discouragements of this pandemic that seems to be dragging on that we're praying will, will uh, close sooner than later. And by the way, I'm, I'm encouraged this week. Our youth group is meeting together again. I, you caught that in the message, in the announcements, in person, Tuesday night. What a great opportunity. Social distancing, it'll be safe. But for your uh, youth and for the youth of, of uh, their friends, what a great opportunity to get together with, with uh, uh, others of their age group and just be encouraged and taught about their faith in Jesus and encourage one another. We're looking forward to others of our ministries coming back as we're able to bring them back as well. So this morning what I want us to do is look at five ways that you can be assured, five reasons why you can be assured that Jesus is indeed coming back. Five ways from the scriptures that shows us that the one who loves you with a perfect love is on his way. Now, none of us know whether it'll happen today, tomorrow, in our lifetime, the scriptures teach we don't know the time of his coming, but we live in light of his imminent return. He could come at any moment. And I want us to look at and, and have our spirits lifted by five ways the scripture shows us that we can be assured Jesus is coming back. You can follow along with your notes. Uh, they'll be on the screen, but they're also on your app. Another good reason to see uh, Kainoa and get the, the church app so that you can get all of the, the uh, references in your notes. But here's the first reason. God planned... Jesus' first and his second coming. God the Father planned Jesus' second coming. Now, when we look at the Old Testament prophecies, we have a myriad of prophecies of both his first and his second coming. And those prophecies of his second coming are certain because God has stated them in his word. And in fact, the fact that the first coming prom prophecies have already happened should give us a, a great assurance that the second ones are going to happen as well. It's a little bit like this when you look at Old Testament prophecies. It's a reminder that the Bible is a miraculous book. Who could predict what's going to happen centuries ahead of time except the God of the universe who is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He sees all things and he's able to share through the Old Testament prophecies what's going to happen literally hundreds of years later. Okay? But let me give you this image of Old Testament prophecies. I think it's helpful because when we look at the Old Testament, we have prophecies of Jesus' first coming and we have prophecies of his second coming. But they're sort of like at a distance, two mountains that seem like they're at the same place. Many of you know I was raised in Alberta, Canada. Calgary, Alberta is 60 miles. It's in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And so if you stand a distance from these large majestic mountains, when you stand at a distance, they all look that, that they're at the same place. Two peaks look like they're right at the same place. It's not until you drive up closer, and I've driven that path to Banff so many times, the first major peak that sticks out of the foothills is Mount Yamnuska. That's the first one, and you drive up, and there's Mount Yamnuska towering up into the skies, but then you drive around Mount Yamnuska, and there's a valley, and then there's another mountain behind it. But from a distance, you don't see that valley between the two mountains. You just see the two peaks seemingly parallel with each other. But as you get closer, you see there's one peak first, and then a valley, and the, the second peak, I'm not sure it's the actual second peak, but a little bit later on, there's a mountain with three peaks called the Three Sisters. Uh, 
named after Martha, Joyce, and Sarah. I'm just kidding, but Martha's family has three sisters in it, so we renamed it. It's actually called the Three Sisters, but not necessarily after those three girls. But the point is, from a distance, you see them parallel. As you get up closer, you see that one comes behind the other. That's kind of what's going on in the Old Testament. You have these, you have these great, majestic prophecies about the Messiah coming. Some of them are his first coming. Some of them are his second coming. But there's a valley in between them, and you and I live in that valley. We can look back on the prophecies of Jesus' first coming, and we look forward to the prophecies of his second coming. So I'm just going to fly over these fairly quickly, but we should, it should encourage our hearts to look at the Scriptures and see that <coughs> God the Father himself has planned the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. What were some of the Messiah's first prophecies about his first coming? Well, these are, these are just some highlights. He was born a descendant of Eve. And we read, I will put enmity right at the fall when Satan won the first battle, deceived Adam and Eve, and, um, and, and, and God is speaking judgment on uh, Satan and, and also speaking about the, the results of their sin to Adam and Eve. And he says this, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What he's saying is, the descendant of the woman, the seed of the woman, a human being, is going to ultimately conquer Satan and sin and death and evil. And it's going to be born, not an angel, not some kind of heavenly, powerful being, but a human being, a descendant of Eve, is going to crush. And it looks forward to the cross where Satan struck his heel and Jesus died, but he rose from the dead and crushed the head of the enemy. And... Um, just an in indication, one prophecy, that the coming Messiah would be a human being. Secondly, he was born a descendant of David, and you know this well. The Davidic covenant and the references there that God said to David, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and one of your descendants is going to exercise an eternal rule, will be, have an eternal dynasty, an eternal dominion. And everybody knew, and the scriptures are filled with the fact that the Old Testament, the Messiah, the coming king, was going to be a descendant of David. Um, and of course, Jesus was born a descendant of David in that uh, line, in that Davidic linehood and, and, uh, and, and fulfilled that prophecy and many others. Thirdly, you know this one, he was born of a virgin. Isaiah, 600 years plus before Jesus said these words. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. God the Son is coming. He's going to be born of a virgin. And all of these things were prophesied uh, in his first coming. And so you know the Christmas story. The Holy Spirit moved on Mary's body. And so uh, in a remarkable miracle, a, a totally unique miracle, uh, the child that was given birth, Jesus, was um, born of a virgin, born fully human, yet fully God because the Holy Spirit was the one who touched her body with that miraculous life. Another fulfilled prophecy. He was born in Bethlehem. The prophets even announced the town he was going to be born in. You, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are uh, small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. The king is coming. He's going to be born in Israel, in, in Bethlehem, whose origins are of old from ancient times. 
Now, here's the amazing thing. You can go to the place on the planet where this prophecy was fulfilled. In fact, I want to show you a, a picture of the church there. Yep, they built a church in Bethlehem to commemorate the place uh, where Jesus was born. It's called the Church of the Nativity. By the way, um, uh, I would hardly encourage all of us, if you have the opportunity in our churches, sending a trip next fall when we're believing the pandemic will be over. So we won't have to, God willing, wear masks and do social distancing. It'll be back life to normal. But you can go and stand in Bethlehem at the place where there's good archaeological evidence that was the place that Jesus was born. Inside the Church of the Nativity, they've got a place, and nobody knows it's exactly this, but if you want to see where they think the manger was, and it might have been right there or somewhere nearby, this is what the manger looks like. The point is you can stand. They've, they've made a, a, a monument there. You can stand at the place where this prophecy was fulfilled. He was born in Bethlehem. The third thing, the, uh, or the next prophecy is, prophecy is that his, it was born in Bethlehem, but his ministry was preceded by a prophet. God the Father planned that when Jesus came at his first coming, there would be a prophet run ahead of him and announce his, I will send my messenger. This is both from Malachi and Isaiah. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You can go to the Jordan River and see where John the Baptist was that prophet, prophesied in the Old Testament. Here's just one picture of what the Jordan River looks like, and that's John the Baptist there doing the baptism. And uh, if you don't recognize the lady being baptized by John the Baptist, that's um, Misty's mom, Julia. <laughs> and uh, if you don't know, there's special rewards in heaven when you get baptized in the Jordan River. I'm just kidding about that. I'm just kidding about that. But the, the thing I'm pointing out to is you can go to the Jordan River to where John the Baptist, in fulfillment of prophecy, baptized people for repentance and, and um, preparing the way for Jesus' ministry. All of these things happened in time, in history, in geographical locations. You can go and stand there and read the scriptures and see how the prophecies were fulfilled. So public ministry, uh, uh, in, uh, sorry, the ministry uh, by a prophet preceded by a prophet. Then there's prophecies about Jesus' public ministry in Galilee. Isaiah 9 says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Here's the prophecy of Jesus coming and ministering in the area of Galilee. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor where? Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have a great light, have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. Light has dawned. What is it saying? The coming Messiah is going to operate in the land of Galilee, northern Israel. Well, you can go and see the places where Jesus came in fulfillment of this prophecy. All of these prophecies are true. So if you haven't seen a picture of the Sea of Galilee, it looks a little bit like this. And you can walk, it's the uh, pictures taken from the place where Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, his ministry was around the Sea of Galilee. You can go to Capernaum, you can go to various places, you can go to Magdala, you can go to all the places where Jesus came and actually performed his ministry, his miracles, his teachings. And um, the second slide, I think, has a, a picture of a team on the boat. You can get on the boat and go out on the Sea of Galilee and it's a little bit dark, but uh, there's some family members. You can see Bob and Carol there and the, the Perry Ohana. You can go and stand and float 
uh, on the Sea of Galilee where all of these prophecies uh, were fulfilled. And can I just say this? One of the reasons why Martha and I keep uh, going back and is because it's the most life-changing thing you can do is to stand and read the scriptures, be in the places where these happen. You, you never read the scriptures again the same, and you just have that powerful sense of what God has done in human history because you're standing in the place where it happened, and it's a, it's a wonderful time together. But in any case, the point is that all of these things happened in fulfillment of God's prophecy. And then um, finally... Uh, or not finding, but another example of the prophecy is that the, um, the prophecy is that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem riding on a colt. This was um, Zechariah's prophecy. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly in humility and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so, yes, you can go to Jerusalem and see the very city where uh, the cult isn't still around, but um, you know what Jerusalem looks like in the backdrop, um, and we'll pull up that picture of, of Jerusalem. Uh, you can stand on the Mount of Olives and look, and you, here's the, uh, the group that are standing on the Mount of Olives looking to Jerusalem. The, uh, the temple is no longer there that Jesus would have arrived to uh, on the back of a, of a donkey, on the uh, back of a colt. But uh, present day, it's the Muslim shrine you can see back there. Um, but nevertheless, it was the city of Jerusalem. It was the time when the temple was there, when Jesus came riding into the city. You can go to the city. You can see the sights. Another key prophecy was about his death and resurrection. Oh, by the way, before we get that, uh, another prophecy, he, was, he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver against Zechariah. The Lord said to me, throw into the uh, potter, throw it to the potter, that the handsome price of which they valued me. So I, think, so I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the potter to the house of the Lord. And that's quoted as a prophecy right down to the detail of the amount of coins, the amount of money that Judas betrayed Jesus for. All of these prophecies, um, all recorded in all the Father's word about his first coming. Secondly, or another prophecy there, he would be stricken and his followers scattered. Zechariah, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And it looked at the fact that when Jesus was arrested, all of his followers took off for their life and they were scattered. And he stood alone on trial and stood alone at crucifixion except for John and some of the ladies. Uh, the final one is prophecy, at least for our notes this morning, is Jesus' death tomb and resurrection. I hope you get the idea. So many things, so many details of Jesus' first coming were prophesied, were declared ahead of time by the prophets, revealed by God that he had planned for both Jesus' first coming and his second coming. I want to take a moment to read because if you've never marveled at the detail of Isaiah's prophecy of Jesus' death and then his tomb and then his resurrection, it's all there hundreds of years before Jesus showed up on the planet. This is Isaiah 53. It says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. How was Jesus killed? He was crucified. They drove nails through his hands and his feet. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. He died in our place. And by his wounds we are healed. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Each of us needs the death of Jesus. 
for the forgiveness of our sins. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his, uh, of his generations protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. Means he's, he's going to die. But the transgression, for the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, was going to give his tomb for Jesus to be laid in. I mean, right down to the detail of piercing, tomb of a rich man, and then the resurrection it's going to speak about. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Jesus' death, suffering deaths were all according to God's will and his plan to forgive your sins and to forgive mine. And though the Lord makes his, his life an offering for sin, catch this, this is where the reference to the resurrection is, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life. The suffering servant of the Lord who's going to die for the sins of people and be laid in a tomb, is going to see the light of life. It's a clear reference to his resurrection. All of this prophesied, predicted, planned by God centuries before Jesus came on the planet. By my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. Jesus will be glorified, and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was uh, numbered with the transgressor. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. Isaiah the prophet revealed God's plan that Jesus at his first coming was going to suffer, die for the sins of people, raise from the dead. You can go and stand at the places where it's already happened. Quick shot, here's the church that stands where Jesus was crucified and where his empty tomb is. And it looks like this uh, because um, many churches... Uh, celebrate uh, with, with artwork and icons. It's a little bit different than many of us in our church background, but this is where um, the, 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 the place where the archaeological evidence shows in that place, in that nearby there, it might not have been that exact spot, was where Jesus was actually crucified. In fact, it's a little bit hard to see, but on the other, either side of the altar, there's a rock, um, and on that bedrock, they believe Either there or nearby there was where they lifted the cross of Jesus. In the same building, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, you will see the place they believe is his empty tomb. And again, there's good archaeological evidence. This is the place where Jesus left an empty tomb when he raised from the dead. So we'll take a quick uh, look at that one. The empty tomb looks something like this. There it is. It's empty. <laughs> Uh, and again, they've, they've uh, decorated it. They've um, uh, put icons around it. But the point is you can go and stand in the places where these prophecies planned by God centuries past actually occurred. And you can stand in the places and, and look back on the fulfillment of these prophecies because God's word is true. Well, that's one way in which um, you can look at the uh, prophecies of Jesus' first coming. 
But with that, that should give us assurance that God's prophecies of the second coming are sure. So I just want to give a few uh, quick ones that are, again, there in your notes. But as we look at the Old Testament, we see God's plan for both his first and second coming. It says that the Messiah is coming in glory to rule, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel says, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, this heavenly glorious king. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He, has given he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worship him. His dominion is an eternal dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Just one example of, yeah, in the Old Testament, you've got the suffering servant of the Lord, but you've got the reigning glorious king of the Lord, both of them the Messiah, one at his first coming, one at his second coming. Uh, when he comes, Psalm says he's coming to judge the world. He's coming to rule. He's coming to judge. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He's coming in judgment with a holy, righteous anger to destroy evil. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Old Testament and new. Jesus' second coming, part of that is going to be a great judgment. He's coming to um, bring judgment, to reign in glory, and with that, he's going to bring peace on earth. He's going to create peace on earth, Micah chapter 4 and verse 3. He will judge between many peoples, will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords, their instruments for, of warfare, into plowshares, a farming instrument. And their spears, another instrument of war, into pruning hooks. They're going to go fishing. It's going to be a time of peace and not warfare, using that imagery. Nations will not take up sword against nations, and they will train for, um, and, and nor will they train for war anymore. And of course, one of Isaiah's great prophets, uh, prophecies was that image of the lion and the lamb laying down together, peace on earth. Judgment and peace, glorious reigning king. These are the prophecies of the second coming of Jesus. And then there are some prophecies, and I'm just going to look at one, where you have Jesus' first coming and his second coming combined in the same prophecy. Combined in the same prophecy. So, for example, Isaiah 9 says this. You know this one well from Chris, Christmas. For to us a child is born, a son is given. Well, that's Jesus' first coming. And the government will be on his shoulders. Well, he hasn't taken over the government yet. That's at his second coming. Well, he will, when he will rule as king. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is all who he is that will be revealed at his second coming. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. It will be eternal kingdom of peace. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Almighty will accomplish this. The point is this, with all of these Old Testament prophecies, God had planned, and this is why you can have assurance, and I can too, that Jesus is coming again. God had planned both for Jesus' first coming as the suffering servant of the Lord to give his life on the cross, to accomplish salvation for our sins, to rise from the dead, but he had also planned our sec Jesus' second coming, where he's coming to rule and to judge and to be king and to set all things right. And so we have both of that, but it's not, it, that would be enough. <laughs> that would be enough that God the Father had planned this. But a second way we can be assured Jesus is coming, 
that the one who loves us with a perfect love is coming back is because Jesus himself teaches it. Just a couple of examples. But God the Father planned it. Jesus teaches his second coming. He's coming to receive followers to himself. Remember John chapter 14? Jesus says to his disciples, the night before he goes to the cross, he's in the upper room and he says, my father's house has many rooms. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back. That's Jesus. I will come back. He's facing the cross and take in his resurrection and his ascension. But he says, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. Jesus teaches that he's going to return. And um, in one sense, it's, it's uh, the last great promise he made to us. Um, take a look at Brother Ed and, and his thought about what this meant to him personally when, when Ed thought about the return of Jesus in his life. Take a look. Good morning, church family. Uh, I just wanted to take a minute to share with you uh, what it means for uh, Jesus' return. Uh, I think it's pretty amazing uh, because we get to live out uh, this ending part of his last promises to us. And uh, just through this time of confusion and chaos and division that uh, we're experiencing in our everyday lives, um, there's one thing that we know for certain is that he'll be coming back for all of us soon. And um, to be able to live that promise out um, and see it uh, in, uh, in real time is going to be uh, a pretty spectacular experience. And just knowing that um, you know all those things that he's done in the past for Noah and Moses and all these other great, uh, amazing stories that he's had in the Bible and the promises and uh, that he's uh, actually fulfilled, being able to be a part of his last promise. For us is a pretty incredible opportunity so um, you know for me it's just trying to live out this last days um, being a witness for him as best as I can and uh, really be able to share you know um, what he's done for my life and what he continues to do and what people can and how they can get connected to this uh, everlasting life through believing um, that he's come and rose from the dead for us and he paid the price of and that sacrifice long ago you know, for our sins. Um, so really, um, I'm really excited to be able to see what happens in the near future. Um, stay blessed, everyone, and uh, see you in the sky. See you in the sky. Isn't that great? Great truth that G one of Jesus' last promises was, I am coming for you again. And he says that to us, his followers. And... Um, he also says before, when he's on trial, he says he's coming in glory to judge and to rule. And he quotes uh, to those that are, uh, he's standing on trial with the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy that he's coming and they'll see his glory riding on the clouds with thunder, uh, with, uh, with glory. He also teaches it in his parables. And the references there in several parables, Jesus speaks about his return. So we have the word of God the Father. We have the word of God the Son, the teaching of God the Son. Those are two great reasons that we can be assured that he's coming. But guess what? We also have the word of the Holy Spirit. All three members of the Godhead have stated the return of Jesus Christ. It was the Holy Spirit who inspired the apostles, and we have many New Testament uh, writers inspired by the Holy Spirit 
declaring that Jesus is coming again. So again, I'm just sampling some examples for you, but all of this should give us a, a sure and a certain hope about the return of Jesus Christ. God, it is impossible for, to, for him to lie. He is truth. And God the Father has planned the return of Jesus. Jesus has taught his return. And the Holy Spirit has declared and testified about the return. So for example, one example is that he's appearing a second time in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28 says this. So Christ was sacrificed, that was at his first coming, once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, says the Spirit-inspired author. Not to bear sin, he's already done that, but to bring salvation, to bring salvation in its fullest sense to those who are waiting for him. Holy Spirit says Jesus is coming a second time. He's going to return from heaven, says Paul in Philippians. He says this, our citizenship, our home is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's going to happen when he shows up? Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, absolute power, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. When he shows up, it'll be a time of transfer transformation. That brings us joy. Take a listen to uh, Alyssa. She shares something about that thought in her life. Good morning, New Hope. My name is Alyssa. Um, thank you for just allowing me to share my excitement of Jesus's return. I'm so excited to just be at the feet of Jesus one day, but I'm also excited to have my family and my friends and myself have new bodies um, that don't have aches or pains. Um, and we see that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that will be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. And it's not going to be in the way that he had to endure it on the cross. Um, he already did that for us. It's going to be so quick. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 30. Verse 52, it'll be in the twinkling of an eye. And I can't wait. So, mahalo. Thank you, Alyssa. So when Jesus comes back, the Holy Spirit says it's going to be a second time. He's going to return from heaven, and um, he's going to bring um, glorious new bodies, resurrection to his believers. It tells us about his first Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. You can read it, but that's the passage where the dead in Christ will rise first and believers here on earth will meet them in the, in the air and it'll time, be a time of resurrection and glorification and reunion with Jesus, with loved ones. And so take a look at uh, uh, Melissa. She shared something about what that'll mean in her life. While reading this passage, I was envisioning of how God, Jesus will come down and of course rise the dead and take them up to heaven with him first and then the rest of us who are still alive will meet him in the air and it's just that it's just that picture of amazing and how wonderful that would be for us to go to 
to heaven and meet Jesus there because that's where life is. You know, it's beautiful, it's calm, it's pure. A lot of people, all of us, will be handsome and beautiful all over again. No wrinkles, no pain, no suffering. And that's how amazing it will be when we all get there. So it is our job while we're here on this earth to bring as much people as we can, people that we get in touch with, especially our family, our kids, our grandkids, that we leave that legacy that Jesus is our Lord and Savior and the only way to heaven is through Him. And that is my peace. And thank you, Pastor Rick, for letting me share. And you all have a beautiful day. Thank you. Bye. Awesome. Thank you, Melissa. And uh, some of us have to take it by faith. When Jesus comes back, we will be handsome, <laughs> maybe, for, maybe for the first time in our lives. But it's going to be a time of glorious transformation and uh, being made into the image of Jesus. And that's certainly got to include handsomeness and, and beauty. Uh, great, great thought. Well, when Holy Spirit also says when he comes back, he's going to reward believers. That when Jesus comes for his people, there will be rewards. Let me just read to you the passage. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, when he appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Just a, one of the New Testament indications of a time of reward, a time of blessing for believers. And another way of looking at it about uh, the resurrection is that he will glorify believers. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we shall be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And there's that sense of uh, God making everything new in our lives and restoring uh, that perfect humanity in our lives. So one more just uh, video testimony. Take a look at Kahua and as he thought about Jesus returning in our lives. Hello, family. Um, so the question was, what do I think would be wonderful and amazing of Jesus' coming? So... What I think is, would be wonderful and amazing is the fact that, you know, when, he's, when Jesus comes, it's, gonna, it's like a rejuvenation of life. I mean, I know for me personally and also probably for everyone who has faith, you know. Um, I believe he was, you know, it'll restore uh, humanity to what we're supposed to be, you know, love and grace and, and honor each other, take care of one another. Um, I'm excited, you know, and you know, just for the certain, just from little things that I've changes that I've made in my life, you know, as a new believer, pretty, pretty, fairly new believer, um, you know, I, um, I saw a lot of growth in myself, just having faith. So, you know, when Jesus actually comes and 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 reveals Himself to us, I mean, there's nothing else that can be but, you know. It's just all powerful, you know. It's, it's going to be an amazing, amazing um, um, time for everyone, the whole world, you know. And um, I just believe that, yeah, he's just going to restore humanity to its rightful uh, place, I guess, you know, and like just bring love and joy and and, and honor and, and faith to everyone. So that's what I believe will happen. Everybody's going to be happy. Thank you. 
Thank you, Kahua. Well, I wonder what comes to your mind, but you know, there's all of these wonderful truths revealed in the New Testament where God the Father has said, the king is coming, second coming. Jesus himself teaches, I'm coming a second time. Holy Spirit says, the king is coming, the Messiah is coming. He's coming, and when he comes, he'll come in glory for his, uh, to rule, to judge, to bring peace on earth. Yes, judgment on a world that, that uh, needs justice, but for those that are believers in Jesus, all of these wonderful benefits that we look forward to. We have the word of the Father, we have the word of the Son, we have the word of the Holy Spirit, and just two more quick things that will give you two more assurances that Jesus is on his way. Here's the one who loves you is coming for you. It's the nature, the identity of the church. The, the very identity of the church requires Jesus' return. Why? Because one of the images of the church is what? the bride of Christ. He's the groom, we're the bride. There's been a betrothal, but the wedding hasn't happened yet. And the very nature of the church is that, uh, and the reference is there, when Jesus comes, Revelation 19, there's going to be a celebration, a marriage feast, <laughs> a celebration and a wedding, if you will, between the bride and his people, the bridegroom. That's one of the great images of Jesus' relationship with us his church, his bride, and that requires his second coming to claim his bride. You know, I thought about that uh, this last week. The next wedding in our church family is Justin and Kristen, if you didn't know that, December 27th. Um, two people who love each other, want to spend their lives together. Well, you, Justin is just, he can't wait for December 27th because there's going to be a wedding and there's going to be a celebration. And uh, Kristen, she's just as excited because this wedding is coming up. And uh, love is going to be brought to its fulfillment in the gift of marriage. And that's the image of what we have to look forward to. Looking forward with joy, looking forward to celebration, looking forward to the fullness of love in the relationship between the bride and the bridegroom. All of that is envisioned. And by the way, when Jesus comes, there will be no COVID. <laughs> so it's not like, you know, the, the marriage will have to be just between immediate family members and friends and then a later celebration. No, it's going to be an open and perfect and wonderful celebration. But the very nature of the church requires it. One final thing, and it's, again, it's there in your notes, that God's triumph over evil requires Jesus' return. God's triumph over evil and his ultimate judgment of Satan, the enemy, and doing away with Satan and doing away with sin and death and, and all of that gets cast into the eternal lake of fire and uh, a new creation, a new earth. And God wins in the end. You read the book of Revelation. And that's not going to happen until Jesus comes back. And sadly enough, we still have suffering and we still have evil and we still have sin on our planet. And, um, and yet, when Jesus comes, he will bring judgment on Satan. He'll do away with sin and death and evil. And he will create a whole new creation full of life, full of joy. But all of that, Jesus' ultimate triumph over evil, requires him to come back and to do that on earth. These are all reasons why we can be assured that the one who loves you with a perfect love, the one who gave his life on the cross, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could belong for him, that he said he's coming back to take us to himself. It's going to happen. And so how do we live this week? How do we live today? We never know when he's coming, but we can live with joy. We can live with love because we know the one who loves us is on his way. He may not. 
If he doesn't come in our lifetime, we just go to be with him, to be absent from the body, to be present with Jesus, the one who loves us. I just want to conclude with this image because as I thought about what that means, a little glimpse of what that means. I remembered years ago, uh, you know, Martha and I had these four little boys and, and when Eric was born, our fourth little boy, and the other boys were like, I don't know, two, three, four years old, Martha wanted to take Eric and we were living on the mainland, wanted to see her relatives there. You, you fly out and take Eric to see the family and I'll take some days off work and I'll take care of the other three boys. So I had these three little toddlers and dad all alone with the three toddlers and the living in a distant place. Well, it was a challenge. Remember those details? She said, yeah, I remember what Steve said when I came back. He said, a lot. <laughs> and that was one of my survival skills was take the kids. But here's the thing. During that time, I knew she was coming back. I was longing for her to come back. I was living, anticipating of her coming back. And I was being faithful with what I needed to do for our family until she came back. And that's just a little glimpse. But the woman I loved was going to return. And uh, that gave me joy. That gave me hope. That gave me strength for the challenges that I had in, in the meantime. And yes, I longed for when she got back, there were some benefits, and there's some benefits to Jesus coming. We're going to be transformed. We're going to meet him in the air. We'll have reunion with all good benefits. But the greatest thing is that we'll meet the one who loves us with a perfect love. And as much as I was looking forward to uh, being restored when Martha did come back, it was really the person, not the benefits of, of, um, of having her back and helping with the kids and all of that. It was really longing for the person whom you loved. And for that reason, listen to what Paul says. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. It's going to be rewards when Jesus comes back. I look forward to that with joy, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, but only says this, not only me, but catch this, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And that's my encouragement, my challenge to you this morning. Have you loved, are you loving his appearing? Are you looking forward to the one who's coming back with a perfect love for you and loving that day when he will bring his presence above all? Let's stand and pray together. Father, we praise you this morning. We thank you as your church family is the bride of Christ on earth for these wonderful assurances from your word. We have the word of the Father. We have the word of the Son. We have the word of the Holy Spirit. We have other realities in the scriptures, the nature of the church and your ultimate conquering of all evil on earth. Lord, we know for a fact, Lord Jesus, that you are coming. We trust you in your timing. We trust you in, your, in the circumstances of our lives. But Lord, lift our spirits with joy as we live our lives under this wonderful banner that Jesus the King is coming. And he's coming in glory to reign, but he's coming in love for his people. And so, Lord, we look forward to Jesus and seeing the fullness of the one who loves us with a perfect love. So Lord, we love you this morning and we press on in our faith, loving you in all of the ways that you've called us to for that love to flow through our lives to others as well. We thank you, Jesus, that you are on your way back. In Christ's name we pray, amen.